1: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think
0: find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
2: welcome to the fighting on film podcast the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies from the normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords if it's been captured on film we're going to try and cover it
1: I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello and welcome back to Fighting on Film. This week we're bringing you the fever dream that is Castle Keep. This is, on paper, an absolute rip-roaring classic of a film. But when it comes to it, it's a little bit of a fever dream. It's a bit trippy.
2: Yes, it is. Um... This has been on the FOF um, spreadsheet for ages, this one. Um, yep. So I picked it up cheap uh, in CEX on DVD, which if, you, if you're American or you're international listener, um, it's a very cheap sort of computer exchange shop where you can get DVDs and games very heavily discounted. Um, and it's always been sitting on the shelf, and we were ringing and ring and, uh, and we consulted the, the FOF archive, mm-hmm. if you will, and we were like, yeah, Castle Keep 1969. That looks interesting and boy did we uh Mm -hmm. let ourselves in for a uh, an interesting time treat um a a treat yeah so i mean maybe matt fill us in with the production and we'll go into cast and we'll and we'll go from there
1: all right okay well as i said on paper it seems like it's going to be you know a phenomenal film in terms of production and cast and everything that went into it so we've got um sydney pollock directing um famous American director, producer, actor. Um, He won uh, an Oscar for 1985's Out of Africa for both Best Director and Best Picture. Um, He's known for Scalp Hunters. uh, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Three Days of the Condor, um, The Firm, Tootsie. Um, He produced films like The Talented Mr. Ripley and The Quiet American um, and uh, Cold Mountain as well. So, really well respected director. Uh the film was written by uh, Daniel Tradash, um who's known for um from Here to Eternity, uh The Picnic, uh, Storm Center along with uh David Rafiel um who's a long time um Pollock uh collaborator. Uh the, the the actual screenplay was was based on Castle Keep a 1965 novel by William Eastlake. Uh Eastlake was actually uh, a veteran of the Northwest a Europe campaign. Uh, he oh, was wow. a platoon leader. Um and he was wounded at the Battle of the Bulge in 1945 um, oh. and was awarded a, a bronze star. Uh, cinematography was was handled by Henri Duquet. Um part of the part of the French New Wave, very competent cinematographer. Um probably uh, in terms of war movies, his other best known is, is probably Operation Daybreak in 1975. Um in terms of Um, the budget we're looking at about 8 million but I couldn't find a box office I don't know whether you did
2: No I couldn't find anything on that there's very very little on this movie out there to be fair
1: Surprising isn't it really I I had a look at a couple of of Pollock books and there was a great deal out there to be uh, be found Music was by um, Michael Legrand um, who uh, did the uh, music for the 1968 original uh, Thomas Crown Affair movie Ice Station Zebra in the same year and uh, The Three Musketeers in 1973, which is a, a favourite. I do like that film. Mm. I like all three of those, actually. Like uh, classic Sunday afternoon films. Um, the film was was shot in, um, in Serbia, um, hence the wild number of uh, extras that we get in the film and, and the, the scale towards the end of it, um, yes. which really does add to the film, I think. Um, it was it largely filmed in... Um, Kamenica Park uh, in the city of uh, Novosad uh, or Novisad. Um and apparently the the castle was made out of styrofoam that was another little factoid that came up when yeah. I was trying to find behind the scenes stuff um, and other than that it probably has the best snow of any Battle of the Bulge film
2: it, yeah very, there's actually snow in it which is yeah. you know good you know, there's none in the Battle of the Bulge although
1: I 65. did read that filming went on so long that the snow began to melt and that became a little bit stressful for everyone
2: yes i read that as well Um, apparently they were annoyed they were wearing winter uniforms and it was like you know boiling hot um yeah well that's called Uh, continuity Um, yeah exactly yeah yeah you know (laughs) and i i also heard that apparently they they did uh, spoiler alert for a film that came out you know 50 odd years ago um the, the, the castle genuinely burnt down, and, and at the end of the movie, when you're seeing it burning, that's genuine footage of the castle burning. It's not
1: that's not controlled. Yeah, apparently, apparently, Pollock was running backwards and forwards, yeah. Um, with, with the K to try and like as much as possible. This is great.
2: Give me a camera on this. This is fantastic. <laughs> it's the genuine, Roll audio it. there, <laughs> rolling we're going to get one shot at this well, that's
1: that's about it for production side of things as we said earlier there just isn't a great deal um of information on it um one of those interesting
2: movies it's it comes out in that sort of weird new hollywood time where bonnie and clyde's come out hollywood's trying new things and this is one of the movies that i think has come out in that period and was interesting and different but i think it's been lost to time in its way um but then when you segue seamlessly into cast here when you look at the cast the some of the people in it are very timeless so leading your film you've got burt lancaster Mm. you know we've done we've had burt on quite a lot lately really when you think about it um it feels that way at least um academy award winner listeners to the show will know his back catalogue um you know very well but he plays major falconer he's very much the lead of the movie um and then you know Listeners will know him from The Professionals, The Train, Twilight's Last Gleaming, Seven Days in May, Judgment at Nuremberg. Prolific, classic Hollywood actor there. Um, Then we have Patrick O'Neill as Captain Beckman. uh, In terms of his war movies, he's in In Harm's Way, King Rat and Under Siege in 1992. Uh, Then we have Jean-Pierre Amont as the uh, Count of Maldoreau. He's the owner of the castle. Uh, He was in Assignment in Brittany, Charge of the Lancers, the 1955 Napoleon film, and uh, The Enemy General. Uh, Peter Falk, Columbo's back um, as he plays Sergeant Rossi. Um, He was in Anzio, Attack and Retreat, which is an Italian um, war film we need to do, and Operation Snafu, but obviously, as forementioned, you'll know him from Columbo, um, hugely famous for that um then we have astrid uh Hireen. she's a german model turned actress um as Therese del the del malderay she's the count the countess um, she's a very small uh has a very small uh credit list but she was in the thomas crown affair silent night bloody night um and seems to have yeah only only those four big credits really then we have hmm. al freeman jr as private benjamin now he's kind of the he's the writer of the group so he it, it's it, the movie. The way the movie works is that they say to Private Benjamin that he should write a book about this and this. This um, yeah. This film is essentially his book. Um, so he was in Torpedo Run, Snipers Ridge, uh, Roots: The Next Generations, and the film Malcolm X. Um, and in Roots: The Next Generation, he played Malcolm X, which is quite an interesting little, little sort of uh, oh, bit of trivia cool. there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we have Scott Wilson as Corporal Clearboy. Uh, He was in Young Guns 2, Geronimo, an American legend, uh, the 1995 Judge Dredd, uh, G.I. Jane, Pearl Harbor, The Last Samurai, and he also appeared as Herschel Green in The Walking Dead. He did. A kind of
1: career resurgence, bit of a lift towards the end. Um, I think he died a couple of years ago now, didn't he?
2: Ah, right. Yeah, I think so. Mm. Uh, Then we have Tony Bill as Lieutenant Amberjack. Uh, He's an actor and director. Um, he was in None But the Brave, Man from Uncle, I Station Zebra, and in terms of his directing credits um, relevant to the show, he directed Flyboys. If you remember, Matt. Oh, ah,
1: of course back, he did. Back in the time, yeah. But a wow, what a great film.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, absolute ever, classic.
2: Much like this film, very interesting. It's what you say. This, what you I, say I mean,
1: you... I can see. I I can actually. No, I can't see anything <laughs> on it, but yeah. Carry on. When
2: you want to be non-committal, Matt, you just go, it's very interesting. Yeah, Mm. just say that. Get get out of jail-free saying, it's not bad, it's not good, it's just interesting. Um, Then we have James Patterson as Elk. Um, His credits include Silent Night, Bloody Night, um, Hawaii Five-0, the Mission Impossible TV series, and The Defenders. Um, Then we have Bruce Stern, something of a a cult hero, um, as Lieutenant Billy Bix. Um, He's an Academy Award nominee. Um, he was also in Pollax, They shoot horses, don't they? He was in Silent Running, The Burbs, Nebraska, The Hateful Eight, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, very much of that era and that sixty sort of new wave era. But a, but a proper, you know, a proper, uh, proper cult, cult character actor there. Then we have yeah. uh, Katrina Baratto as the Red Queen. She's the uh, the mistress of the brothel that the uh, the the American GIs find themselves in.
1: Um, she's in a italian that's, that's actress a, that's a trip that scene
2: i know uh, it really is uh, she was in a film called uh salo 120 days of sodom Federico fellini's eight and a half and campo di fiori and then rounding out the cast um we have olga beressa as baker's wife that's the character's name um and it will become clear later why there's they a baby really
1: backstory didn't they they really yeah. did
2: um she's in superfly tnt she makes an appearance in the spy who loved me in a film called safari rally so that's your cast there and it's it's good but i think that cast stands a test of time way more than the actual the actual movie does on
1: on paper definitely i mean it's frustrating isn't it you you go into it and you're thinking okay it's going to be um a late 60s exploration of um man's duality uh and conflict and it's gonna yeah. be an anti-war film but then even at the time like new york times critic uh vincent carby uh canby um said accomplishes the ju- the film accomplishes the dubious feat of being both anti and pro-war at the same time yes and that kind of sums it up a little bit for me in that this film is a little bit muddied it's not a straightforward film and it, it it leans heavily into the, you know that surrealism that came into film in the, in the late 60s mm.
2: it's tonally all over the place um so i think yes. maybe we should do the one where it doesn't know whether
1: it wants to be a comedy or a dark yeah. anti-war film or just a all out like show them up <laughs>
2: yes <laughs> yeah or, or like a or kelly's heroes light in some places as well like i got that it, vibe it's... from it
1: yeah kelly's heroes does a big old lump of of um of crack, Kelly's I
2: mean,
1: heroes on MDMA. You know, L- yeah, yeah, on on LSD. <laughs> yeah. more, it's not a more of a for key. it gone crazy. There.
2: It's in a K hole. It needs yeah. to be taken home and made a cup of tea and bought a kebab at three in the morning. That's the best way to describe <laughs> Castle Keep. Um, it's Kelly's on Ket. Everyone, <laughs> things I thought I'd oh my never God. say on this show. <laughs> So getting into the one where reviews this week, we have <laughs> historical firearms, Matthew Moss goes with bread, but he's written it in a long form, which is bread. <laughs> Andy Moody just says, uh, looking forward to this. We haven't seen it in years. Uh, Kevin gets goes with tripping. Paul Hicks goes with unknown. Um, Jim Dudaku gives more of a, a few words, but we'll, we'll let them in. He says, one of those insane 60s World War II films that's more about the 60s than World War II. Not very good. All the action is very of its time and nowadays is a waste of time. Uh, Brian Williams goes with eccentric. Um, and Simon whippet says, just one more thing. Obviously, got to get Colombo in there. I um, don't think I've seen it. We'll check it out post review. Uh, pete the Payton says Eye patch, and ian davidson goes with unheard of so i think the general consensus was that this yep. movie is kind of just i wouldn't say it's a lost film because it's definitely not yeah i was, I was gonna be
1: i was gonna be um mildly humorous and have done the production for the keep rather than castle keep just for a laugh
2: it <laughs> won't be, um, be the first time that we've come on the show i <laughs> had to quickly scramble behind the scenes there for everyone there was a there was a week where matt and me because if you listen to the show for a long time you'll realize that me and matt alternate production and cast and there was one week i forget what movie it even was but there was a i
1: I can't remember now
2: there was a moment where i i went to do cast and matt looked at his notes and he was like hang on i've got cast here as well (laughs) so we had to pull production notes out of our ass essentially for that one, which was very funny. No, we, never we, paused know because...
1: the, we paused the recording, went away, and did our due diligence. We <laughs> yeah, no, didn't just pull it no, out of our arse. No, <laughs> but, <laughs>
2: but we essentially had to, really. But yeah, this one's an interesting I'm one. I think, r- it, as you say, it's just, it comes out in an odd time. This is Kelly's Heroes, but has gone too far, if that makes sense. like
1: Kelly's is uh, accessible. And it, mm. it remains timeless because it doesn't go too far into the you know the uh the surrealist e- exploration of war um yes. that films like this one do so if you if you if you look at this film and you if you come into it like three and there's a load of women in like Belle-esque outfits throwing Brandy Molotov cocktails at a teeth teeth A45, Mm. You go what the hell what's is this? going on? Yeah. If you came into it 45 minutes earlier uh, and it's it's a guy that's looking at it it's the it's the the left lieutenant looking at the um painting in the parlor of the castle and it starts yes. moving. <laughs> it comes alive. You'd be like
2: what the, what, what the fuck like, is this? It's like
1: tells the or unexpected, the, the, isn't it? The, it's like
2: what's going on?
1: Yeah, or the sequence where Bert Lancaster shoots seven um seven uh like members of a german patrol without taking any you know possibility of return fire oh it's that's
2: nails nails absolutely is not cover
1: but that 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 like bandstand is not bulletproof but apparently it is um it's (laughs) but it's come on it is i i, I mean he so sell, he sells being able to shoot all those guys oh um, he does
2: yeah he's he's taking the film it's, bloody it's seriously just, i must admit if that's the character then fair enough but if if yes. that's how he chose to mm. act it
1: someone does someone yes. needs to yeah um we got falk in the bakery just like absolutely <laughs> gone. I know. gone we'll talk about that in favorite scenes i know yeah, but we will he's gone He's just like bread Bread. I'm, I'm like, bread I'm a baker here bread i'm a baker now and everyone's coming in going can i get some bread and he's like yeah here you go like i'm not i, I don't want to do this but i i'm need someone needs someone needs to like explain to to peter falk that a bakery is a for-profit business where you just can't give bread to everybody you actually need to like it's
2: being the best sell socialist baker he can be he's giving it away for free absolutely true to sort of back up what we've been saying there I found a retro review from RogerEbert.com. It's not that retro. It's 2021 by Scout Tafoya as part of a series of unloved movies. And he says this. There's no way around how Sidney Pollack's castle keepers aged awkwardly. Half of its jokes don't land and never did. And it was written and directed by people who sacrificed artistry, artistry for cleverness. But there's undeniably a kind of odd magic at work here. How many people were interested in showing warfare as simply the province of absurdity and in showing the battlefield as not a transformative place, but simply a graveyard waiting for bodies? Released in 1969, Castle Keep is too cute, perhaps, to be the profound thing it intends to be, but there is a fairly accurate study of cabin fever, of living in a society that has lost its walls and ceiling, that we're all on our own now, and it's up to us to decide what happens next, at last. And I think we can all now relate on some level to that.
1: Mm, Interesting. I I think it hits a number of interesting points there, like good points, in that... A lot of the stuff doesn't land, and probably didn't with audiences at the time either, could, no. because some of it is just like this is too either far out or just painfully like not relevant to what we're doing here. Um, and I, yes. I think the mention of like cabin fever uh, is is really interesting. And the, there's elements of, of this film that if you reshot it with the soundtrack of The Shining, then oh yeah, you could, this this you could, yeah, you could have a really interesting mashup, that's for sure. Yeah, but Don't... no, I, there's a definite feel and and atmosphere of of that cabin fever um mm. element to it but then totally the film shifts around so much that that doesn't remain for long it no, kind it of doesn't oh we're, we're isolated in this castle oh wait we can go to a brothel in the town which is like five minutes away yeah and the town's oh, on private soldier the is apparently having weird a weird a weird relationship with a vw beetle and then yeah the, you know the the out of nowhere oh, a, f- a flare goes up like three miles away the- and and bet instantly knows that the entire german army is coming their way and, and he-, he, holds no, like, telling- he holds a
2: lecture and- telling them the entirety of the, how- the, lectures- the bulge is going to go down and he wouldn't know a damn thing i absolutely love that i thought that was amazing
1: i i love the art lecture the art lecture that the captain gives yeah because oh my god so that the 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 film begins with a jeep slowly ambling down a potholed road yes. towards the castle, and we get some backstory. We get the the, the captain captain's backstory of he is uh, there to look after artwork, or he's yeah. on like a like a bit of a monuments men esque kind of background to him. Um, yeah. There's the major, and then there's the 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 author, the writer. That, that I mean, this meet, was better um, than
2: *Monuments Men*. I'll, I'll, gonna write the book? I'll say always. that now.
1: *Monuments* *Monuments Men* is is long overdue for a, um, a review on this show because what, *Monuments man, Men* is was a wasted, is that was a three,
2: wasted three opportunity for a mini series cut down into a movie that doesn't bloody work. That's what I think *Monuments Men* is. <laughs>
1: monuments men is do you remember that episode of the simpsons where um he invents a gun that applies makeup that's monuments (laughs) men
2: wow i mean it just it just throws everything at you and expects it to stick is that what you mean (laughs) (laughs) because because then castle keep is very much like homer's makeup gun i think that's, (laughs) that's that's true actually that is
1: true might be our most niche Simpsons reference.
2: That's amazing. Yeah. But 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 it works so well Matt. that's perfect. The per- you've done final thoughts already, like half an hour early. I think you've done it.
1: <laughs> it's the makeup gun from the it's Simpsons. It's the makeup gun from the Simpsons. Hold still, Marge. This episode <laughs> is gonna be our castle keep. I can feel it. It is, <laughs> yes. People are gonna to listen to this and go, oh no, it's this it film's sin, really tremendous. <laughs> i'm sat here with a typewriter just writing red rum over and over again
2: no tv no beer make burke lancaster something something uh, <laughs> maybe we should take a breather uh, and get hope, to the I hope, alley tally what hope, I hope still everyone saying. gets the
1: simpsons references that we push into
0: this far too often of
2: course yeah, they do, do it. Like, it was a cultural phenomenon
0: It's time for Alley Tally on fighting on film.
2: So, I mean, if you haven't worked out already, the film is a bit madcap, to say the least. But in terms of the Alley Tally this week, it's not actually that bad. Mm. Like, a, for for what? For, for watch the trailer if you haven't, or indeed watch the whole movie. It's it's out there online. Um, like the war movie part of it is, is absolutely fine. There's not much going wrong for a, le- yeah. a late, sixties, yeah. world war II um, American war movie. There's nothing wrong. You know, you've got B.A.R.S. in there m one Garand's, uh, there's a really cool 50 can on an aerial mount. It's really cool. Um, you get Peter Falcon yeah. on MG 42, which is all, which is lovely to see. Yeah. Um, M mm-hmm. one Garand's as well, Germans in Feldgrau. So I, I think maybe, Maybe without realizing it, they're leaning into the tropes a little bit, which kind of might help. Might help the film yes, in a way.
1: I think that's for, um T eighty four. Sorry, T thirty four eighty five painted grey. Yeah, um, love it. Classic. Uh, there's some, there's, some there's great lines a about. three point five inch rocket launcher. That's, that's cool. used. Um, which is it, it, yeah, it's great because when the Jesus the one fever dream of a scene that is where the where the tanks coming into the church oh i love it and we'll just pretend that his his bow gun and his coax are jammed and and the the, the (laughs) tanks coming into the church
2: yeah
1: and they're stumbling to reload and he he aims the 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 rocket launcher which is supposed to be a 2.75 inch but we'll let them off which is actually 3.5 but that's very common um it's an m20 super bazooka you look straight down the tube and there's nothing in it and then he pulls yeah, I love the that. trigger and he pulls the tank up. It's a classic trope. I knew
2: you'd see that. I knew you'd see that. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing I love about that scene is that he's reciting the Lord's Prayer, try, trying to like buy them some time. Yeah. And, then, and then he's like, shoot the goddamn son of a bitch. <laughs> and then he fires it like right at the last moment. <laughs> it's really great. Hey, it's a good but scene. Th- that tank scene is, is quite funny, actually, because once they get in it, um, they're like, oh, um, do you think or Peter Falk goes, or well, do you think we can be arrested for
1: wearing a German tank? Which is a great line. It's an f- incredible line. And <laughs> Falk's delivery of that line is perfect. Yes. But Fa- what annoys me is where does the tank go when they get back to the castle? Fuck knows.
2: I reckon they crashed it. Like there must be a, a yeah. cut scene and they Falk's like. Falk's
1: jammed up the, 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 like, the innards <laughs> <with> bread. <laughs> the bread. The bread
2: they should have had it i don't know why they didn't have a scene where the falc like disables a tank by sticking some bread in the exhaust pipe or something like why did they not do that or like a baguette down the barrel like, down the barrel of the gun that would have been oh. amazing that,
1: that, why that's a really huge missed open goal for <laughs> really, this kind of really film
2: is yeah
1: some um, some slapstick surreal bread action
2: yeah exactly um but that, but yeah, the, the tanks are absolutely fine. That's a trope in itself. Um,
1: mm. I
2: I like the amount of uniforms that were on display because I just wasn't expecting to see
1: them. Oh, that um, that scene where they the, the the guys are retreating through the town and there's yes. hundreds of guys. I'm mean, insane uniforms in there. It's like there's, yeah. there's absolutely wild stuff.
2: Like duck hunters and there's guys in like uh, parachute jump uniforms. Um, there's some random British troops in there, which yeah which means like fully this movie decked out <laughs> which means this movie might be the only the second movie to acknowledge the fact that there was a british contribution to the battle of the bulge which i wish we had known about before we did our talk because it would have been an insane... oh my god can you imagine
1: if we'd included it <laughs>
2: it would have been brilliant
1: <laughs> two frames of a dude wearing a brody with an smle exactly. and that gets into the talk
2: <laughs> yeah it, it bloody would have done um And then I I love the fact that after that sequence, Bert Lancaster somehow is just now wearing a jump uniform for the rest of the movie. It just makes no sense.
1: What's that about? Was Bert like I'm too warm in this. I I want to change.
2: Yeah. Might have been that actually. That's a fair shout, you you know,
1: that's the least weird thing of the film to be fair.
2: It is actually once, once you get, once you get to a certain point with this movie, nothing faces you, I think.
1: Um, yes that's very true um the bit with Falk with the grenade is very cold
2: oh yeah that is good
1: mm. that's a, that's a, a good grenade i like it yeah yeah
2: the more conventional war movie trope bits where they're digging in and things like that you don't normally see mm. that in movies of this era anyway so that was nice
1: yeah that's normally like sort of um just br- like dusted over isn't it and we we see them like setting up their defences and stuff, which is cool. And it turns into all our Stand film. And it, yes. you know, that's the film's, like, sort of final um, tonal shift. Lancaster telling them a to, re- stand.
2: to reposition the mortar, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. And Lancaster um, has... Do you notice his little dad run that he does? Once you notice the oh, way Lancaster runs... All of
1: the skipping over the tiny hedgerows, I was like, oh, damn, it. that's cool. That's it. a... That, and it lingers on him for an awfully long time doing that he runs <laughs> he, like 300 yards in that sequence
2: he can't shift that, at that this put in his career the, the knees are gone and he's done so many westerns yeah but he,
1: but he's but he's making it look like he's moving
2: mm. he does you yeah. know at, at speed I only um, wish the film had gone as quick in that sequence because Christ that is true <laughs> yeah the pacing right <laughs> um, but then I also like the just rounding out my anti-picks for this week is I love I love World War II winter looks. So, yeah, I love great coats, Mackinac coats, uh, scarves, mm-hmm. uh, mittens, all stuff like that. I, I love seeing it. Um, and there's you um, get a um, fair um, bit of that. We do. Peter Falk wears a lovely Mackinac in it. I love him.
1: Um, he, he wears a lovely baker's outfit he,
2: and a baker's outfit, which I never thought yeah.
1: I would ever say. That man, um, that man is like the most flower covered baker like they <laughs> they turned to peter and said peter you're a baker and he, he just plowed his face into some flour and was like i'm a baker and came back up and just that did was the scene. Coca- that was the cocaine to
2: get him through the scene that's not flour
1: <laughs> it literally is like the, this scene in scarface where he like <laughs> he just covered it in. Just
2: jams his head into a pile of flour yeah <laughs> but no but thank god I'm, I'm i think we'll scene. i think we'll transition to favorite scenes now because. We, we're getting there with Peter Falk with The Bakery.
1: Hello there. Sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that you can now join our supporting cast over on Patreon. As thanks for your support, you'll be able to help us pick films, submit questions for guests, have first pick on brand new and exclusive merch, and much more. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show.
2: So, favourite scenes. So talking about uh, Peter Falk there, Falk is the perfect actor for the role there's no for me at least there's no one else there's probably is someone else in that era maybe don rickles maybe someone like that comedic actor but falk has this conviction and the comedy to his acting there's the timing and the timing yeah to make this absurdity work so rossi um reverts back to his pre-war occupation as a baker in an attempt to like sort of see out the war it's clear he's going through some post-traumatic stress um i think that's what he's trying to get at and he reverts so they all the lads learn that there's this town and there's a brothel and and falk's like oh there's a bakery um so he goes instead of there being oh you're not going to come to the brothel Rossi's like no where, where there's a bakery there's a baker's wife um and which is an amazing line um and he sort of just adopts this family of his own um, because the baker's gone AWOL, <laughs> which is nuts. That's a trope you know? in of itself. It's crazy. Yeah. So, <laughs> and the, and the wife just invites him to bed because he's a baker and she's a baker's wife. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Falk becomes the, the fabulous ba- baker boy for a bit. Um, and then near <laughs> the end of the movie, this is my favorite scene This part now I'll segue into. Just you just have to have the context there or this doesn't make sense. Um, most like most of the movie actually (laughs) so near the end of the film uh falconer is trying to rally a force to defend the castle and stop the german advance yes so uh the lads falconer's chaps go and say go get go get rossi back and he's baking so you you get uh you get a sequence of them trying to convince him to come back into the fold for one last battle um, and he actually has some really interesting lines, and he's probably the, one of the few characters in the movie that actually gets fleshed out, and you learn a bit more about him. Um, and he says, um, "You know, do you want to do you want to end the war?" And he goes, well, "I've been trying to end the war forever, basically." And he says, "I landed in North Africa. I was going to end the war that day. Then in Normandy. Then the next day. Then the next week. When I when I reached the Siegfried Line, I figured out it right. I figured out right. Maybe it's going to take me a year." But then when I realized it was going to go into centuries, I came here, started a small family and a reasonable business. It's just, just amazing. And he's in, he's in the baker's whites. He's got flour <laughs> all over his it's face. It's the
1: reasonable business bit that gets me out. It's just, yeah. just so, it's so bizarre. I love it. Exactly. It's just like, and, and the then, baker is has gone off and been killed in the war. Yes. Sensibly. Um, mm. And he, he just takes that family under his wing.
2: He does. He really does. And then he has a great, another great line, like two seconds after that, where they're saying about, you know, how are you going to stop a German tank? You know, they don't, they don't just give them up type of thing. And they say, oh, with a bazooka. And he's sort of saying, he's talked about something else and he leans into the guy who's just said about a bazooka and like reverting back to being a soldier. He goes, um, uh, you know how are you going to take a tank away from the Germans? It's theirs. And he goes, and he just leans and he goes, aim for the track. They bounce off the armor, and then he goes back on to talk about baking. It's just, it's, it's like a Mitchell and Webb sketch. It's like, it's just, it's just so well timed. That sequence there gets the comedy that the movie was going for. And the yeah, absurd, that's a very good point, actually. That's for me the own. This is the sequence where it works because you've got your
1: strongest comedic if... character if they just made the comedic element one or two characters mainly folk i think yes. the film would have been a lot stronger because a lot of it is just weird there are too many that jokes hit.
2: that don't land yeah and it detracts i think it detracts
1: from the from it i would agree the folk, the folk baker scenes are great. Um, I do love those; they're a personal favorite as well. Um mm. I like the whole in action in the town. I like that. I, lo- I love the way really that, good. Um, that's actually Lancaster really good. is shot on that horse. Um, yeah, but, I, I mean cinema cine, cinematography. Oh fuck me! The camera work. That I way. mean, in terms of <laughs> cinematography, <laughs> yeah, the camera work. Yeah, um, it's very I, good. Not not how he's actually shot on the horse, but um, no. it, it looks great and. The bit where um he finally rallies a group of men by using Bruce Dan and his band of religious um conscientious objectors. Bruce
2: Denn's carols Bruce, like singers
1: it's just which is absolutely nuts. Yeah. Yeah. He's there, like that's another great sequence with Falk actually. So he stands yeah. outside the, the the brothel singing Christmas carols and, and like shouting about how um you know sins are being committed inside. Yes, Falk comes outside with his rifle, and he's like, "Can, can you not? Can, <laughs> can you shut not? Up? I'm trying yeah. to, I'm trying to ingratiate myself with the baker, baker's yeah. wife, and this reasonable business." <laughs>
2: yeah, in my and, small and he's just like,
1: "You wake up the whole town," and he, he he fires like, like he fires the rifle in the air, and Bruce Dern's like shocked.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and you think, "Oh, that that's really weird." Are we going to see Bruce Dern and the boys again? And we do. We because do because. He runs into um, Bert Lancaster, Major Faulkner, uh, well, and he's trying to rally these retreating men. He he says, like, where's your officer? Um, where are you going? To a couple of them. And he says, my officer's up there. I'm going over there. And th- there's a lot of, like, dazed dudes in the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he realizes he needs, like, a song. Like a rally Piper, almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. About to say that myself. And he gets Bruce Den and the boys to sing at the at the the muzzle of a of a 1911. Cult. He's like, <laughs> yeah. just just sing. I need you to sing. And he's like, I, I don't want to lead these men off into back into war. And and he's apparently Bruce Den's convictions aren't strong enough to prevent him from doing this because he does it. And he yeah. he manages to to, to gather a, a looks like about 200 guys. And you think, oh okay, this is that's going to make defending the castle much easier yeah oh no they they go around the side of a building um you got bert on his white horse um followed by the pipe piper bruce den and his boys and then this you know 100 or so guys and then an artillery barrage lands destroys the building kills all of them everyone yeah all of them except for for bert of of course yeah and he comes riding back through the the dust and the debris. And it's a brilliant shot. I love that. The only um, thing that ruins it is you get a Ter-
2: Terrence Malick, thin red line, tambourine falling down in the middle of the debris, <laughs> like wishy-washy shot, which I fucking hated. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's Terrence. He's, he's struck early.
1: Um, But the, the whole holding town, holding the town section of the film is, it's quite fun. It's, it's yeah. well done. It's well shot. It, it leads nicely into the, the the final act of the film. There's there's some surreal bits where they're using like just a cardboard box as cover. Um, yeah, I like that. And, it, like, that a, really leans into. A guy, a into guy runs across the street at one point to take cover in a in the smallest shell imaginable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
2: Is that the guy with the thirty cal? And he goes, "I'm going to take cover over yeah. there. I'm going to move." And the two guys sort of react like he's crazy. I really, I really love that See, that little sequence there. There's so many. I think that's Pollack trying to show the absurdity of some of these sequences at the time because it feels that way. Mm-hmm. Like there's a German that runs into the middle of the street and like takes a machine gun position up, and the guys just light him up because he's not, he's yeah. not like in any any cover. Um, you, you know, it's just it that sequence technically is very good. I I think it's a much better than the later with scene. the
1: grenade as well in that bit.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's that for me is the stronger sequence of of action that we get. I think the bit at the end is too yeah. over the top. The
1: the, the 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 climax of the film almost feels a little bit rushed. In in mm. the 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 Germans kind of just overwhelm the defenses very quickly, which mm. not not unbelievable. No, um, there's not it's many of them, not unbelievable. You know, um yeah exactly um but i think pollock captures that you know the weight of the advance quite well because it's quite tightly shot um, yes from 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 uh, about 90 degrees off to the 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 german advance and the defense so it gets like this um kind of almost just a very straightforward linear view of of what's going on for some of the, Mm. the actual like shots um there's there's the bit where um they're, they're all wounded and they're in like a dried up pond yes um falk and the lieutenant and someone else and um you know they're about to make a, a a break for the moat to to swim across the moat so they drop the the drawbridge down um so they can get into it and the camera lifts up and sees just how close the germans are to them mm. and the, the voices kind of fade away you never see them again. And I, I thought that was really well um sort of. Yeah, like and it implies and they shot. died, didn't it?
2: Like that they imagined mm. it, they didn't actually do it. And that I think that yeah. sequence doesn't hit as much as it could because it takes so bloody long for you to get there. And if and if mm. and I was watching it and I'm not saying that I know you know what was gonna happen or anything like that, but I guessed that they were dead because it was taking so long. I was like, Oh hang on, they're not they're not gonna make it, are they? Yeah. And I was if you're if you're ahead of the movie in your brain, you're like, come on, you're just waiting for it to happen. And then it and then any sort of goodwill yeah. that scene creates, and we're getting into final thoughts again, we always do it. But then it's sort of it's killed off like five minutes later when you've got like fire engines coming through, and but language. Oh to my god, the fire, I forgot the about moment. the fire engines. And that's insane. And, 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 but Lancaster's shooting like ten million rounds out of this fifty cal, and like it goes a bit, yeah. like goes a bit like westerny sort of last defender fort type vibes, and it's just yeah, any sort of good graces the film builds up, it it's really happy to kill them off quickly, and that might be Pollack's vision, but and it doesn't make. I think it a, is
1: because. And I, I think that's that's it. I, I think that is Pollock's vision of to have this huge, ridiculous climax—the grandstanding of of Lancaster on the fifty, the castle burning down—and I think what he's trying to get across is though it's it's a almost a pastiche of that sixties, fifties um, yeah. tendency to have a huge final climax battle where everything either gets destroyed or killed. And I think that's very true. But before we move into final thoughts, I thought I'd round up some of my um, favourite scenes.
2: Sure.
1: Um, I, we've got to talk about um, the scene with the VW. Oh, it's um, like
2: a Mighty Boosh
1: sketch. Where Lancaster, well, let's talk about the first part where it's like introduced. L- Lancaster comes over and talks to um, Wilson. And it's implied that he's having a sexual relationship with the VW Beetle.
2: It's nuts. Um,
1: which is absolutely insane. And probably the first time I, I, most audiences of the day would have encountered the concept of a human being being physically attractive to a piece of machinery, which is a thing. I've forgotten the term for it, but it is a thing. I remember yeah, watching yeah, a Luther yeah. documentary about <laughs> That was one of the weird weekend ones, I think.
2: I think it um, might have
1: been, you know, yeah. And, and and lancaster sort of explains sorry wilson sort of explains to lancaster um why he loves the car it's it's like it doesn't need any water it's like it, it <laughs>
2: yes yeah, like it's like a mechanical
1: horse it, it drinks a thimble full of oil i love it and 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 lancaster's so far gone at this point and just is just like okay all right carry and on and walks you away do you. You and do then you, later Sunshine? on Later on, a couple of the guys push the the beetle into the moat thinking it's going to sink and and like a bit of spite. Ha, Wilson's girlfriend's in the moat kind of thing. And it it floats to the surface. It's surreal. And he pulls out his pistol and starts trying to shoot it in order to (laughs) let the air out of it. That that Just stopped the film dead for me. I was like, why is this in here? Like That is not going to doesn't hit it doesn't make no. sense and it doesn't do anything for the plot or characterization it's insane
2: yeah and then he and then he drives Moving on to another street another aspect of the film
1: fucking crazy yeah and then he, he he no the how does he get into the moat rob he Fuck goes knows. no he, he goes oh my god the car
2: this movie he goes to run like logic.
1: around through the he goes to run and and like go through the the drawbridge etc and someone goes, No, not that way, go that way. It's quicker. And he, he sort of like, doubles back on himself, goes yeah. through a door that opens out, just opens out into into nothing. He runs through it and falls into the moat below. Yeah. And then swims into the car and drives it out. And it's it's, it's crazy. Amazing.
2: It was like it was as I say, it's like a mighty boosh sketch. It was like something out of monkey dust. Like if you if, if listeners know what monkey dust is. <laughs> Um, and he while was like all that. this
1: is going on, Bert Lancaster is knocking off the count's wife. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole tension of the with the count and the countess and Lancaster in this weird love triangle. Yeah. Where the count wants a child, he's impotent, and he wants a child, and he's like, "I'm just going to put up with it and and yeah, hope I get fine. a child out of this." And I'm like, "Okay." And there's a bit where he hands the count of like uh, a pistol when they're defending the bandstand from that German patrol. That's it, and and he kind of considers shooting the shooting Lancaster in the back, Um yeah. but doesn't. And then it's there's a com- there's a number of conversations where he explains the concept of him wanting a child, etc. And there's it's too much going on. So it's it's odd. too much going on at the times.
2: Um. I think maybe that does bring us into final thoughts. Like some of the scenes are very interesting and done in an interesting way. So the, as we said, like the battle sequences are good enough. I think it's, I think it's a worthwhile watch, but boy, you're in for a hell of a ride. Like, and then it's, but then I think at the end of the day, when all is said and done and you you sort of reflect on the movie, tonally it is so wishy-washy. It really doesn't know what it wants to be. And, it, and it, it's just a little bit flawed. Like the concept is interesting, but it's not, it doesn't lean in too far one way. It doesn't lean in too far off the other. And I think kind of like mm. an absurdist comedy, tongue in cheek kind of war film, Kelly's Heroes a year later just gets yeah. it much better. Like uh, Kelly's Heroes just mm. gets that formula. And I think the cast is better as well in Kelly's Heroes as well, even though I love Lancaster and I love, Falk. If this movie had yeah. more recognizable stars in it, I think it might have survived the years a little bit kinder. Because it's just there's too much of one, not too much of the other. And I think it, I it think it misses its
1: mark. It misses that's its, it. its mark yeah, quite it does. A considerable margin, doesn't it? Mm, it's mm. just a little bit too avant-garde. It's trying to be too surrealist. It doesn't really achieve what it aims to and i go back no. to that quote from i think it was the new york times where it says it has the distinction of being both anti and pro-war at the same time yes and i don't think the film's supposed to be pro-war i just think that it tonally as we've said it misses the mark in that it doesn't yeah, quite yeah. nail down the anti-warness of it or at no. times it isn't clear enough with what it's trying to say the climax is pretty spectacular you know there's some great dialogue that we've talked about there's a lot of ponderous, sort of like pseudo high concept stuff going on. with yes. Paintings coming to life and people having monologues, the art historian giving a talk to people that aren't interested in it.
2: It reminds rather um, be uni. I was like, fuck hell no, we're not again.
1: It was like I don't the, want the to go into it, the that. That was like a Friday afternoon seminar. That oh, was what that was. Christ. Everyone wants to go to the pub. And as, as we've said, it tries to be humorous. Mm-hmm yeah it does it tries to be funny it tries to be humorous but tonally it just moves too too far across the spectrum too rapidly Mm. all of the time in in and and it's it's doing anti-war it's doing surreal it's in doing sort of um a last stand film but then it's also trying to pastiche the the absurdity of the climaxes of contemporary war Mm. movies Mm. and it's also trying to do that thing where the film looks at the absurdity of war and conflict by putting it into a surrealist kind of optic where, oh, we're in a brothel and there's a woman playing an organ. And How mad. How mad a, is this guy a painting Ooh. having a chat with me yeah, like yeah, oh, the 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 prostitutes are now throwing Molotov cocktails at the tank yeah. without any problem at, at, at all
2: at times, I feel like you can hear. Like a director or a producer going, "Oh, look, guys, look how crazy this is! How, how, this shouldn't be in a war film, should it?" Oh, look! You know mm. that's how I kind of feel mm. at certain times. That's just what the movie's going for. It's kind of just trying to be like, "This shouldn't be in a war film, guys! How crazy is this?" And you're thinking, "Well, yeah, yeah it would work if you cut out some of the slower sections and you really, but like, micro you find that comedic tone it. that you're trying to yeah, go for." Exactly. Yeah. If it was quicker if the jokes were funnier, if you had more of Falk, I think it might be a much better movie um,
1: because it, it just, there's other films do an uh, uh, explorations of the absurdity and the mm. tragicness of war better. Oh, must I mean, be. it, Look at the bridge of Ryan Megan. That does, that does, that does uh, this. an examination of, um, you know, the absurdity of, of, Throw men against a you know something that isn't going to be there for long. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I don't think this film nails the the the, the necessary tragic realism. So there has no. to be some sort of element that really binds everything mm. together, and I mm. don't think this film quite achieves it. But no. Nevertheless, it was interesting.
2: Yeah, it was. I I I would recommend it in terms of you know if you're a fan of like uh, the genre. Um, the genre, if you're a fan of cinema history, seeing how new Hollywood was, was sort of the, the new wave of Hollywood directors and yeah. uh, the way of Park's filmmaking. approach to a war movie. It, exactly. Like it, it, it's one it's one to check out just to see where the genre can go. And it's not just another black and white, you know, the good guys shoot left, the bad guys shoot right type thing. It's yeah. not just that. Um, yeah. But I can see why you, it has. If
1: you can forgive some of the surrealist elements yeah it is a film that does make you think a little bit i suppose and if you're Which in colombo is bad, its aim i suppose I mean,
2: check out Falk bacon
1: Falk. yeah
2: bacon and bazookas bread bread there you go there's a three three b's of castle keep there so <laughs> yet again uh thanks again for listening to fighting all film this week that was castle keep 1969 bit of a mad one i think it fried our brains a little bit um please go and do check out. it's definitely our
1: castle keep episode yes
2: it is this is our castle keep episode uh, next week we have uh, paul epstein on the show for an interview he is a d- uh, documentary film maker and producer um, out in america and we're going to be talking to him about all things making documentaries And I'm sure a lot, a lot more as well. So do join us for that next week. Keep abreast of uh, everything that's going on in the show on our social media. You can check us out on Twitter at fighting on film. Oh no, X now, sorry. X um,
1: at fighting on film i'm never going to get used to that Um, we're also on threads we're on instagram Threads, instagram you can find us at fightingonfilm.com that's the main one to go to yeah please go there we've got some new shirts out available as well um celebrating our recent 150th but i think that's about it thanks everyone for listening thanks for listening bye-bye bye